This season is sponsored by Future Farm, the revolutionary meatless meat food company from Brazil. They're cooking up products which can match and exceed our juicy meaty favourites on taste, texture and sizzling flavour using only 100% natural ingredients. My favourite? There's too much choice. But if I had to choose, hands down, it would be the future meatballs and future mints in my classic lasagna dish. And get this, they're standing up for some pretty big things too, like reclaiming the Amazon rainforest back by fostering the movement towards GMO-free and deforestation-free products in place of those that are unethical and illegal. Definitely not just another plant-based brand, hey? Very up my street. The full Future Farm range is available now at Sainsbury's. Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, industry insiders, and people who, well, just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and favorite tastes along the way. Today, I'm joined by Mark Curtin, the CEO of The Felix Project. Since 2019, he has been the man responsible for the incredibly rapid growth of the largest independent end-to-end food distribution charity in the UK. In 2020 alone, they redistributed over 21 million meals to those in need. If you're based in London, you may have spotted their bright green vans travelling around the city distributing the food. Before joining the Felix Project, Mark has spent his life working for charities, non-profits and is a huge supporter and mentor within communities in need of development. If that isn't enough, he volunteers as a school governor, a fundraiser, sports coach and has still found the time to complete three London marathons. Someone give this man a beer and a Nobel Peace Prize. Mark, it's so wonderful to have you on. Thank you, Hannah. Yeah, thanks for the introduction. It's been a while actually since those marathons, um, so it's uh... yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get onto that in a bit because I I also ran a marathon, but I, I'm more intrigued about your story than mine. <laughs> <laughs> so first and foremost, how are you? Yeah, really good actually. Uh, busy as you can imagine, and as you've just been describing. But yeah, really uh, looking forward to the end of this you know pandemic whatever that is and whenever that is but but i think we're you know myself and all of my colleagues at the felix project are just more determined than ever and driven to keep going so yeah we're uh, we're focused on the year and ahead and beyond i mean obviously you know it goes without saying that we are living in a very bizarre time how has that affected what you guys are doing at the felix project compared to normal times yeah, uh, it's been huge, to be honest. It was absolutely game-changing last spring, uh, around March time, when the pandemic started, well, when the, the lockdown started in the UK. And I think the biggest change, first of all, was just the need for us to completely adapt everything that we do, to to scale up really quickly, to ask people to do jobs that weren't their job, to ask so much of our amazing volunteers and the people that just do so much and are so committed to the organisation, to the cause. Um, and, and the biggest impact was was demand, was just huge. The number of people that found themselves without access to really good quality food, uh, spiraled, you know, on a daily basis. And we went from an organisation that in 2019 
redistributed the equivalent of 6.4 million meals across London to one, as you said, that that actually did 21.1 million meals by the end of the year. And that the amount of work and commitment and adapting how we do things that went on behind all of the scenes was was just unprecedented. But we were really, or I am, really proud of everybody that played their part um, in, in helping us to tell our story, to do all the things that we did, to raise the money that we needed to raise to be able to achieve what we uh, wanted to do. And, and most importantly, to all of those businesses and individuals who came together, who collaborate, collaborated. Uh, I think resilience was definitely the, the word of the year for me. Um, everybody was just so determined to make a difference and to help those people that needed us most. So it was, yeah, it was just a, a, a crazy, bonkers year. It really was. I mean, when you say, I mean, listen, you're jumping from, I think you said, what, on average in 2019, you were doing about 6 million or just over meals. In a year. Yeah. Jumping to 22 million. I mean, that's extortionate. So how are you upscaling practically overnight? Yeah. So the first thing that we needed to do was was get more food, uh, which is absolutely yeah. critical. You know, it's almost, food's almost like, like cash for us. And therefore, we had to make sure that we were able to access as much food as we possibly can. So that was engaging with the food industry. In the first instance, a lot of those restaurants and hospitality sector businesses that had to close their doors came to us or we came to them and, and said, we've got food. We don't want it to go to waste. So we, we had you know people, chefs, staff from restaurants right across London turning up at our depots with food, really good quality food and saying, right, please don't let this go to waste. So we closed our doors. We've been locked down. Um, so that was the, the, the first response. And then second was to continue to sustain that once, you know, that would only last a couple of weeks or so. So then it was about working right across the food industry with farms, with wholesalers, manufacturers, the the retail industry um, and, and finding ways to get sustained supply of donated food, surplus food that would have otherwise gone to waste. The government responded as well. So the government actually put um, put some money in to, I say some, quite a lot of money uh, to fund the purchasing of food, um, which was about 3 million meals of the 21 million meals that we did last year. And that, that project still can continue actually through to the end of the current lockdown and hopefully... Um, the last lockdown that we have. And then the other thing was all the people that we required. You know, we we signed up 900 new volunteers in the first four weeks of the pandemic. Um, Many of those people were furloughed. We had, you know, airline pilots, uh, people from all kinds of industries, particularly the hospitality and food industry that that were furloughed or found themselves sadly out of work and with time on their hands, but wanted to do something. They wanted to commit to help. And then all our existing amazing volunteers and staff had to, as I mentioned earlier, change what they did, um, work in a different way. One of the biggest challenges, it seems like a small thing, but it's a huge impact, was that we normally have two people in a van. So we have a driver and a co-driver, and they're responsible for unloading the food when we get to one of the charities or community organisations. And because of social distancing measures, we couldn't have two people who weren't from the same household in the same van. So we could only have, you know family members or household members so we had all the logistics of planning all of that and moving all those things around just meant that very quickly we were able to to scale up but most importantly is to sustain the scale we know that the economic and other impacts of the pandemic will last for many years 
And actually, so this year, you know, our target is 38 million meals. Next year, it's 56. And by 2024, we need to be doing to meet the demand in London, a hundred over 100 million meals a year. So we've got to keep going. We've got to keep sustaining that growth and asking a lot of people and organisations to come together to collaborate to make it all happen. And what are the sort of stats in terms of the communities? that are in need i mean i mean obviously i guess the stats are sort of reflective in the meals that you're giving but you know mm. in terms of like the jump whether it be you know talk about the communities that you're you're targeting because i know that you and i actually met last april uh during your partnership i, I believe you're i don't know if you're still in a partnership with uh, the evening standard for their um food for london now campaign um and i sort of was there doing some social distance for photography for you um you know, I think one of the places that I went along to uh, in in just one of the afternoons I was with you guys was to a, I think it was a women's charity in Marlebone. And that was a massive eye opener for me. You know, obviously food is a very important part of my life. I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't talking to you. Um, and the idea of let alone people going without is a big thing for me. Um, to even comprehend um but then seeing the circumstances that a lot of these women were in you know what kind of people are you helping uh almost every type of person as you can imagine but to, to, if we use that example that you were just talking about there we we work as an organization first of all right across the community spectrum so we work we, we provide food to food banks who are obviously working most closely with families uh, homeless shelters and refuges that help people who are either homeless or or, or what's known as from the rough sleeper community uh, we work with schools where children there are over four hundred thousand children in London live in households where food um, food insecurity as it's technically termed is a, is a is a major issue and we also work with with hundreds of organizations that provide lots of other really important critical and life-saving services and one of them is the one you mentioned the refugees women's refugees now we all saw you know really sadly one of the other key impacts of the pandemic was the increase in domestic violence and, and the increase in women becoming victims of abuse and uh, in, in the home. And therefore, charities and organisations that support particularly women um, and, uh, and, and including also obviously women with young children uh, to come out of the home and to, to seek sanctuary and safety away from that environment. Um, and they need food. Everybody needs food. And therefore, for us to provide um, all kinds of community organisations, charities, refuges, food banks, schools and big hubs that were set up by local authorities in response to the pandemic um, meant that we were reaching um, or we are now reaching over a quarter of a million people every week. Um, in different parts of London and those people that need you know come from different backgrounds families that can't afford to put food, uh, uh, food on their table for their children parents that will miss meals because they'll feed their children first and, and therefore not able to eat themselves women who find themselves in refuges homeless people um, and also pensioners maybe that are isolated and vulnerable because of the pandemic and the impact on their health, as well as lots of other people that have suffered another big thing that we've seen in the media, which is mental health issues. We work with lots of organisations that provide counselling services and other support. And quite often that will have that will mean people coming in 
for support services and mentoring and where that's been able to continue despite some of the you know the measures around lockdown and, and distancing it means that we are literally helping every type of person we don't discriminate on the grounds of anything at all other than that it's a basic human right for people to have access to not just food but good quality nutrition and a, and a really good balance of nutrition Speaking of basic human rights, I know that the Felix Project uh, did speak up about um, the good old uh, government's approach to the free, the free school meals for yeah. children. You know, what was what was your thoughts on on what they were providing? Should we yeah. say? Well, no, we first of all, we, we're not critical of government um, in, in in certainly in the way that others, many others are. We 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 receive a lot of support from central government, and I think it's important for us to you know to be clear about that and to acknowledge that however there is a problem there is an issue um now the wider issue of poverty if you like um and that leads people to food insecurity is probably beyond our ability as a charity to to be able to address but what we can be is a key part of the solution um in in terms of how we do that and if we take specifically that issue of free school meals and and food that's made available to families outside of the times when um when when food um comes to them from schools uh, particularly breakfast and lunch provision um is that we we feel really strongly that we offer amazing value i mean we published a picture on lots of our social channels um, uh, um, that shows what we could provide for for the equivalent of £30 spent. Now, that's largely possible because food is donated to us from the food industry, and we have a huge, amazing workforce of volunteers who give their time for free. And therefore, we weren't necessarily criticising government or even the organisations, the commercial organisations that government were um, that, that were funding to provide the service. What we were simply saying was that actually talk to us, engage us. We believe that we can be a really effective part of the solution here. And for £30 of spend, whether it's public money or charitable donated money, mm. we can provide an amazing amount of not just food, but really good quality food. We pride ourselves very much on at least 70% of all of the food at 21 million meals we did last year. It's actually fresh fruit, vegetables and staple products um, that are so important to making sure that families and children in particular get a really balanced um, nutritional value, if you like, from the food that they eat. Um, because it, as we know, it has so many other health and mental and physical health benefits for them. Absolutely, absolutely. Talk to me about what a typical day is for you. Is there such a thing as a typical day nowadays? I don't know, but... <laughs> I'm not sure there is. Um, I, I think generally speaking, I, I personally, I, I get up really early, um, not so much in the winter, but when the weather's better, I like to get out and run first thing. Uh, I, I'm not necessarily a fair weather runner. I, I do run in the winter, just probably not at six o'clock in the morning, but um, typically get up. And... I actually prefer running in the winter. Well, just because you're getting hot anyway. So then it's sort of like yeah. a bit of a, it's like a nice little like sort of uh free air conditioning as you're running i can't run in the heat yeah i i, I did yeah don't get me wrong i much prefer to run when the weather's cooler i guess it's that you know can i really get up and out of bed at half past six six o'clock yeah. in the morning to run when it's when it's so grim but generally speaking yeah i'm and i've got a young family i've got two children who are who are five and eight so it's a case that you know like any typical family it's getting up getting them ready for school getting them off to school in the mornings and then um 
I try and spend as much time as I possibly can on site at our depots, but that's really challenging at the minute for, for a couple of reasons, actually. One is, first and foremost, we, we like any business, have had to make sure that we adhere to all the COVID regulations around only only people that critically need to be in in a building or on site or traveling um, should be there. So we've had to adapt the way that we work. And that, that often includes myself. I spend quite a bit of time um, at home, working from home, you know, undertaking calls and so on. But where possible, I try to get out. I, I actually tried myself to do as many shifts as I can, although it's really difficult at the minute, thank God, because all of our volunteers have booked all the shifts up. So that's that's great. Oh, but last Friday, I, I spent the afternoon out in the van on the front line delivering food to charities, which is brilliant. I think it's really important for, for myself in my position to be able to do that. And I had some great conversations just hearing from um, people that run the charities and organisations, what's happening, what they're seeing, who they're speaking to, who they're helping, um, uh, and also some comments back about, you know, next time could we have this food and not that? We need more potatoes, we need more <laughs> carrots, which is which is always a bit um, amusing. Um, but I think, you know, a typical day for me is is a mixture really of either, you know, an office day on the phones, on Zoom or Teams calls, talking to funders and donors and supporters and thanking people for their help, looking at what we can do next, spending quite a lot of time with our board of trustees um, and and my own team planning and organising, dialing into team calls, finding out what's going on, what's happening, if anybody needs any help or support across the team, thanking people. I think it's so important, especially in my role, to acknowledge people for the tremendous work that they do, whether they're staff or volunteers. And especially at a time when, you know, life is difficult for so many people and, and we continue to achieve so much. And then, as I say, when I am able to get into the depots or, or, or come, you know, closer to the front line, as it were, is just to, you know, as much as I can, roll my sleeves up and get involved and help. And, um, and But listen, I spend a lot of time listening to people and understanding what's happening out there and how this is impacting um, not just the families um, and the people that we get the food to um, at, the, at the end, but also those organisations that are um, working very locally who we, we provide food to um, and the challenges that they face. And, and hopefully if there's a way that we can adapt what we do and work with them. Um, so, yeah, it's a really a real blend or mixture of stuff every day is literally quite different um, at, at the moment. But it's, um, it's certainly... Um, it's busy. Uh, they're long old days. Um, and and as m- the, the other thing I think that's really challenging for me personally um, is to try to spend as much time as I can, um, you know, at home with my family. My wife is a teacher, so she's really busy working as well and has all the challenges of um, t- uh, working with children who are either homeschooling or in some cases, if they're children of, um, of key workers or children with special educational needs, who she teaches quite a lot in, in school. So between us, we're juggling. And the biggest challenge for us is we've lost all our childcare. Grandparents are tucked away, oh, no. um, shielding. Thankfully, they've all just been vaccinated. So hopefully they'll be back helping us soon. But childcare, balancing childcare and home life with, with two busy working lives is, is a challenge. But, you know, I, I, I work in a world where I hear challenges from other people who are much greater than mine so I've learned you know don't moan about it just get on with it help you know do everything that you can consider how privileged I am to be in a job an amazing job with amazing people and a great team around me and um, just you know just get on with it and just get it done gosh Mark I'm so in awe of you really I am 
We need more of you in this world. Um, sort of taking it a little bit, bit back to your childhood, you know, you really have this sense of the community spirit and help and helping people. You know, you want to help people. Was that instilled in you from a young age? Yeah, I think so. I come I come from a very, you know, working class uh, background. My my dad, actually, I was talking to somebody about this recently. So my dad, uh, my dad passed away when I was 12. He, he died of cancer in, in uh, 1990. Um, but my dad, um, he had a really, really tough life. He didn't really talk about it a huge amount, but he was born uh, in Ireland in the 40s. Uh, to uh, out, uh, His mother was you know, pregnant out of wedlock in, in Catholic Ireland, and therefore my dad was taken oh, away gosh. from her uh, and put into a, a convent and had a, a tough, a really, really tough... I mean, we've wow. seen some news recently in the media about the historical... Um, challenges and issues um, and, and, and abuse that, that uh, people faced. And, there, and then my dad came to the UK, came to London as a 15-year-old um, to, to seek work once he was old enough to get away from, from that life. Uh, he was homeless um, for a while. He had no money. Uh, he had no access to food. Uh, it was long before food poverty and food insecurity were terms that we, that we hear today. But he experienced that. I mean, he experienced hunger. Um, and through sheer hard work, really good values, um, uh, and um, he found himself work. He, you know, got himself into a position where he had a family, had children, um, and uh, and as we were growing up, one thing that was really important to my dad and to my mum and my mum's family, which were all you know hard grafters, hard. Uh, working class people, some military background, and, and some very much people um, people like my mum's my mum's father, my grandfather, they all came from a life where you just had to work really really hard to get anywhere, and and therefore what we constantly had around us as kids was this um, you know respect everybody who respect your elders and all the sort of stereotypical things, but also to work hard and to not complain, to keep your head down. And, you know, and the harder you work, the more you'll be rewarded. And, and I think that's just an important principle um, for me that I try to instill. I'm constantly telling my own children how privileged they are and to stop telling me it's not fair and they don't, you know, they don't know how difficult <laughs> it is for others, but actually to appreciate yeah. the importance of, um, resilience and determination and hard work and good manners. I think that's really, really important. Recognising other people and, and, and actually appreciating how lucky you are um, and that, that you're in a position to help others um, as well. So, and my wife is very much the same, you know, that's, that's our own philosophy as a family, if you like. And, um, and that's what's um, for me. Yeah. I get well paid to do the job that I do in the charity sector but actually, I love the most rewarding thing for me is the hearing from people who we've helped and supported. And, and I think the other thing I just mentioned is that one of the things that I've seen, particularly in the last 12 months, but, but historically with families and children and, and individuals that we've worked with um, in the different charities I've worked in, is this, um, this determination to overcome personal and societal, if you like, challenges people people generally speaking are unbelievably resilient when they're put under pressure mm. and i think that that's one of the most rewarding things about working in the in the charity world no matter what it is that a charity does 
is that you just come across so many amazing people who quite often just get things done under the radar and without great big fanfare. Um, and I think that those are, you know, for me, the real heroes of the pandemic are people who have achieved um, what they've achieved is helping others. You know, and we saw Absolutely. some amazing things, you know, Captain Tom and all of that brilliant, fantastic stuff. But there are thousands, literally thousands of those people out there. And many of them, thankfully, are involved at, at Felix Project. It is amazing, actually, in times of hardship that you even even like as a personal thing, you realise how resilient you can be as an individual. You know, we all sort of think, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, listen, this time last year when it was all just slowly simmering mm. and we all thought that we were so invincible that these sorts of things never happened to us. And then, you know, look where we are now. We're still surviving. We're still getting on with it. You know, whatever the little personal achievements or little bits of resilience here or there it's all relative to everybody but we've all kind of mucked down and just sort of done what we need to do you know I mean obviously what you guys are doing for me is like grand serious scale but um you know I think it's amazing I just want to bring it back to the food in terms of your childhood mm. I want to know what you were eating who was cooking was food important what was your relationship like sort of paint the whole story yeah sure yeah i mean we you know we were i guess what isn't was now a kind of a bit dated and um but a very traditional <laughs> you know dad dad worked really hard um worked incredibly long hours and and, and my mum worked but was was you know definitely the one in the kitchen preparing the food um and and you know was the rock at home if you like that looked after the children and and, and did all of that food for us was um fairly traditional as a you know um it, i can mostly i mean my dad there was some irish influence as well my dad being irish um but i think for us we as we got older um i definitely and we um we when I became older um, and started to travel more, that's when I think I started to um, learn more about food um, and and food from different cultures. I, I mean, some fantastic uh, food. I think I'd probably say a lot of European food is my favorite, particularly in Italian or Spanish uh, type of influence. I'm a, I, I love, um, I am a meat eater. I, I, I love a really good steak um but i also i love fish actually as well I, I'm, I'm a really big fan of fish and and um and i love it when we go when we take our own children to the coast um and we get to go down particularly to the southwest to devon and cornwall and, and places like that Beautiful where we take around some, there. Some, some amazing Beautiful. seafood that we can um, that we eat there but i think growing up it was one of the things that was really important actually was that dinner was a really important time for the family to come together because my dad was such a hard worker um, and my mum was so busy, you know, working and and doing all the things in the house. And the kids, as we were a little bit older, we were out playing football in the park or whatever we were doing. That was the time where we came together. And a meal, whatever it was, was the point at which we sat, we talked, we engaged with each other. Um, my dad and well, both my parents actually were sticklers for good manners at the dinner table. And the children sat and waited for everybody else to finish. Um, but it was a time where we could talk about what we'd been up to, what we were doing and what we were going to do next as a family. So so meal times are really, really important, particularly, you know, the traditional eve, early evening dinner um, was was really important. And, and as I say, um, 
it wasn't it was generally you know very traditional british cuisine i would guess at um a younger age and it was only as i became much older and and when we you know started to go on venture venture a bit further afield that we got exposed to um some of the amazing food that we all get to enjoy today and what's your relationship with food like nowadays you know has it changed since working with the felix project yeah i think so i am really mindful um not just from working at the felix project but certainly since i've had uh, my wife and i've had children um of sustainability um so you know as much as i mentioned before i'm a meat eater but i try to eat less meat um we're very very conscious especially when talking to the children um about um, the sustainability of food, not wasting food. I'm, I'm surrounded by really passionate people um, at the Felix Project who, uh, um, you know, uh, who want to reduce food waste. And whilst what we do at the charity is prevent the food from being wasted, you know, before it's sold, if you like, there are a huge number of people that I've come across in my time um, at the Felix Project who are really passionate about helping to reduce food waste in the home as well um, and therefore we talk to our children um, quite a lot and I think my relationship with food I, I you know I think people can really enjoy great food and can you know have whatever they want in terms of choice but I think it's to be much more mindful about where food comes from how sustainable food is um, and also I think very importantly about um, how their own relationships our, or our own relationships with food actually have a wider impact. And we talk, we talk very much at the Felix Project about this thing called the circular economy and, you know, making sure that we're an organisation that not only does what we do um, with regards to food rescue, sorting and redistribution, but where our place is in, in living more sustainable lives, if you like. Um, so it's, it's, it's being mindful of that obviously can be much better and I'm and I'm always trying to educate myself more about how I can um, how I can do more and and live a more sustainable life, if you like, especially for my children's Absolutely. sake and future. Well, yeah, because they are the future, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, you know, and and actually they educate me more than I probably educate mm. them, and I think it's great <laughs> to hear, you know, especially my daughter, she's not backwards and coming forwards and, you know, reminding us of, of stuff, but I, I think it's great now, we see a lot in schools, we do a lot of work ourselves actually in schools, where we talk to schools um, about the importance, not necessarily looking at what we do from a poverty perspective, but actually from a sustainability perspective, there's been a huge focus in the last year on food poverty, but actually, we're a dual mission organisation and we, you know, the first thing that we do is we prevent food from becoming waste. We, you know, a huge amount of that food that we rescued, as I, as I mentioned, um, would have gone to landfill or, or possibly anaerobic digestion. Um, and I'm talking, you know, not just the odd wonky carrot that doesn't make it to the supermarket, mm. shelf, but really good, high value, nutritious food that comes from, you know, some of the big brand supermarkets and, and home box delivery organizations that that we see a lot of. Um, and, and I think it's really important that we see in schools and we, we play a role along with lots of other organizations in going into schools. We're in about 120 schools where we do an assembly and we talk to children about the importance of sustainable relationship or food, you know, sustainable relationships with food, reducing waste, 
how food should not only be accessed but stored refrigerated prepared mm, mm. and we work with a number of amazing people um a uh, great example somebody i know that you know well melissa helmsley who does some great yeah. stuff with us and and organizations like chefs in schools uh, around the holiday programs where we help educate children about food sometimes that they may have never seen or heard of before but what creative and exciting things you can do with it and how you can make it into amazing, lovely dishes. And children love it. They, You know, children are the most creative people on the planet. What a brilliant sort of education to give them at this time. I mean, God, I wish I had that growing up. Absolutely. But I guess, you know, we weren't, we weren't really talking about that sort of stuff, you know, when I was school age um yeah but you know again it is some you know i think we all need to work at it i know i need to work at it i actually get very angry if i have to waste food and you know i have a real issue i mean i'm not necessarily talking about perhaps meats and fishes but you know the sell by date on vegetables i think is a real problem because mm. You know, just because it says that the carrot was a sell-by date from two days ago, you can still eat the bloody carrot, you know? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's just, there there needs to be a lot of work on that. Yeah, I mean, we do, we, um, and, and organisations within our space, if you like, that, that, that do a lot of work with this. And I think the food industry, generally speaking, are doing a much better job, you know, so I'm sure many of your audience are fully aware of this, but more people need to be aware that, you know that the best before date is is just there for either aesthetic or freshness reasons it's perfectly yeah. fine to eat something mm. that is way past the best before date use common sense smell it touch it look at it feel it you know see and and actually you quite often find we literally just this week actually during half term my wife um has made um banana cake with the with the kids because we had a few bananas that gone quite brown didn't look particularly appealing but you know what the kids saw off that banana cake once it had gone into that with within (laughs) i bet they did (laughs) and i think people you know i think there are so what's amazing is there are so many people now I would imagine including a huge amount of of your audience here who um, are so creative with food that can, you know, make it last and and change it into something that it might not traditionally, you know, be its purpose. But actually when those bananas are on the turn or those, you know, those other vegetables, um, there's so many other things that we can do and so many great, you know, cookbooks and and tips and and sort of you know um, little hacks that that are out there now. Um, that means that thankfully it's a long way to go, but less mm. food is certainly being wasted than it was a few years ago. Well, actually, going back to the banana bread, uh, the best way to make a banana bread is with bananas that are just about to go off because they have a little bit more sweetness in them. So yeah, yeah. That there's no excuse to throw out <laughs> any bananas. And I mean, to be honest with you, sometimes, you know, if I've got a whole load of vegetables in the fridge that are kind of becoming a bit, you know, floppy and this and that, let's say it gets to a point where they might be a bit mouldy. I'll just chop off the bit of mouldy end, chop up the rest, roast them, make a tray bake. Delicious. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah, you and just, it's great. you just got to be... And it's not even about being creative. It's just about... Honestly, I think it's a bit of common sense. It is, yeah, and I and I think there's been because because of the way that particular you know that people of of our generation have grown up, where consumerism 
if you like, without without getting sort of too much onto a soapbox about it, but consumerism has meant that we see images of, you know, lovely fresh food in in TV adverts and magazines and 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 on the you know in the in the on the shelves of the supermarkets. I think we kind of we kind of fell into this trap of thinking, oh well, we can only eat this perfect, you know, bright green piece of fruit or veg or whatever it may be. When actually, as you say, in some cases. When the food is a little bit older, it might be in certain ways more tasty and and in some Absolutely. cases even more nutritious, depending on what's happened to all of the, the you know the sugars within the food and and so on. So, yeah, I think it's I think there's definitely a much more positive trend because of the whole awareness around sustainability um, of uh, people being much more mindful. Um, but but as I say, I think you know there's certainly a long long way to go to. Um, to help educate um, more people. And, and one of the things I think is really important, as I say, is that by working with some of the people that we've worked with, whether it be Melissa or, you know, the guys from Chefs in, in Schools um, organisation, is it, it can be so much fun. It's so you can do it in such a creative way, particularly with children. Um, and um, and I hopefully that that's, that becomes more of the way that we live in future and, and think about our relationship with food. What is a normal day in food for you? In fact, what did you have for breakfast today? Uh, I what did I have for breakfast today? I've, I had uh, I, I I I haven't had breakfast today actually. I just I went to the dentist <laughs> this morning, so I didn't eat before I went. But I had a cup of coffee. I went to the dentist yesterday. My, I always have a cup of coffee in my hand. But typically, uh, I, I, I love um, eggs, avocado on, on a bit of brown toast, something like that. But that would be a typical breakfast for me, I think. If I'm in a rush, um, then it might just be, you know, grab a bowl of cereal or a cereal bar if I'm um, – it depends, I guess, as well. If I Normally, if I do run in the morning, then I'll eat something that's probably a little bit more sugary just to make sure that first half a mile or mile or so is that I'm able to get up the hill outside my house. I know that feeling. <laughs> And are you a cook at home? Yeah, I, I try to be. Um, more when the warm weather comes along and the barbecue is out. We um, okay. we love my, our family. We love being outdoors. Um, so you know, between between March and September, if you like, we're definitely out in the garden, cooking in the garden. Um, as I say, um, barbecue is definitely our preferred, or certainly my personal preferred uh, method of, of, you know, grilling grilling something on the barbecue. Um, I have my own um, terrible, but you know, kind of my own signature dishes. When it's if it's my turn to cook it, you know, you can pretty much guess there'll be sort of three or four dishes. It's either going to be spaghetti bolognese, or you know, and I'll try my own uh, my own creative sort of chuck a bit of this in or a bit of that into try and uh, to make it a bit different. But yeah, generally generally speaking, I think um, my wife probably I would say probably does about 80, 80 percent of the cooking. Um, but we've actually got some people, other people in our family that when when times allow, who are amazing cooks. And uh, so we, yeah, we're always trying, you know, grab ourselves a Sunday roast at the brother-in-laws or something like that because we just nice. know it's fantastic, fantastic food. And when life does go back to normal, where are some of your favourite restaurants? Yeah, um, I am a massive fan um, of somebody who is a huge supporter um, of the charity, actually, which is Adam Handling um, and, and Frog. 
which is Adam's signature um, restaurant. He's got a couple, but um, is one of my favourite places. To, I mean, I think the the other reason I'm actually a really big fan of Adam's as well as as well as the food just being amazing, is because Adam himself. The reason he's got such a close affiliation with the with the Felix project is because Adam is really big on sustainability. Um, he actually opened a restaurant uh, in Chelsea in uh, 2019 called um, uh, the Ugly Butterfly. And all of the surplus food from his other restaurants went there and created a whole menu. Um, and we did a whole, so a, cool. a whole thing with them about the Felix project. And it was it was a kind of pop up. It was open for about six or seven months or so. It's on the King's Road in Chelsea. Um, so a huge amount of, you know, passing foot traffic. And, and what, we, what we also did there with, with what well, Adam did with, our, with some input from us was inside was create a whole uh, educational piece and awareness piece really for people that came in about about that so so yeah anything anything um there and i think some of my other um, there's a, a camino the spanish place in king's cross there's a I know there's a couple around london but i've only been to the one in king's cross as i mentioned some of the european food is 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 a big um a big thing of mine and and camino is a is a fantastic spanish restaurant that and the paella there is is as good as anything I've even had in on the many times I've been to Spain actually so it's yeah fantastic one thing I wanted to just quickly ask you with regards to the Felix project that I've just thought about as you've been talking so the 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 companies and the restaurants that are coming to you how does that process work is there some sort of like do they have to reach certain standards in terms of I don't know um health and safety like how if someone wants to come to you and say listen we want to provide food for you or we've got surplus food how do they go about that yeah the the, the actual the, the 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 onus is more on us around health and safety and standards right. so so we work as i mentioned right the way from the farm all the way through to the the fork as it were so any organization that has food in its business will you know have will have a conversation with and we'll ask them about what type of food it is um all kinds of depending on what type of business they are um what the food is the shelf life the you know how they how they get it to it's more of a logistical um concern obviously we all work within food regulations they're quite quite um stringent food, you know rightly so food health and safety tracking and tracing regulations in the uk um, so we'll make sure that all of those things, both from their perspective and ours, we, we're, we're required by law, um, but also, you know, for our own um, for our own policies and procedures to meet all of the, the requirements. And what we do is effectively when an organisation says, well, we've got surplus this or we can donate this to you. We, we get on the phone or when we can, we bring them in, we show them what we do and how we work. And we effectively show them that what we can do, donating food to the Felix Project, particularly if it's surplus food that's likely to go to waste, is is we try to make it much more than just a transactional relationship of here you go, Felix Project, here's a ton of this or a crate of this, is we actually try to work really, really closely with them and show them what we do, where the food goes, the relationship that we have with those organisations and the and the end beneficiaries, if you like. We try as much as we can to get staff engaged in volunteering or, or doing something else with us. In many cases, I mean, some of the some food businesses that we work with, we have really good relationships where they actually engage their own customer base 
um, in the work that they do with us. And it can be for fundraising reasons. It can be for awareness raising reasons. We've had people that have come to us to want to be volunteers or to help or support us in some way because they heard about us because they were a customer of Ocado or, you know, one of the other organizations that we partner with. So we've, we try not to be transactional. Um, in some cases we have to be because it's such a big operation moving at such pace. Mm. Um, but effectively what we do is we just help them to understand that we can be part of a solution for their business becoming more sustainable. Um, and at the same time, by do, by working with us, they can have a real impact on society and, and, and some of the changes that they can bring about simply by donating food that would otherwise have gone to waste. Because when I was with you guys for those couple of days in April last year, you know, you're working with sort of like a lot of like high street chains. So I remember when I came to the depot, I think there was a whole delivery of food from Itsu or uh, I don't know, like Pret-a-Manger, whatever it might be. So it's literally that, like those, are, it all comes to the depot and then it's all just re- redistributed around. Yeah, yeah. We we work with hundreds and hundreds of organisations mm. and, and actually brands, like you say, that everybody will recognise. They'll be customers, you know, themselves. Yeah. And I, I just had a conversation um, recently with somebody, I, I better not say who at this stage because we, we haven't set up a formal, <laughs> but, but, a, but a well-known um, sort of restaurant and cafe brand in London. And one of the things that he was talking about, he's been volunteering with us recently and they're really, they're really responsible, sustainable business where, you know, sustainability and the impact on the environment is really important to them, but, uh, but actually really important to them, not, not just for moral reasons, but, but also for business reasons, you know, their customers, we're seeing an increase now on the big supermarkets, on, on food businesses from customers who are saying, well, actually, I want to know what you're doing. I want to hold you to account more as a business where I'm a customer for being more sustainable and having more of an impact on society. Um, by you know, So what do you do when you're working with these charities that redistribute food or that feed people? And, and I think that there's an increasing trend now that we're seeing where more food businesses particularly those high street brands and and well-known organizations that we're all customers with or we've all been for a coffee or a sandwich in um will increasingly want to want to be part of this what i call them you know this movement if you like this collaboration of people organizations and businesses who are coming together to tackle the issue of waste and reduce food waste and use that issue to solve the other issue that we've got this this food crisis of of hunger and malnutrition. And then on the other side, if people want to volunteer, is that sort of just a process of going through the website? Yeah, we've we've got a huge volunteer drive at the moment for a new, a a really exciting, two really exciting projects in East London. So in April, uh, all being well, um, we're about to open another new depot, a huge depot that's actually twice the size um of the of the depots that we've got in we've got depots in park royal enfield and deptford in south london and this new depot is going to be in poplar in in east london in in town hamlets and on the same site the other thing that we're also doing which is really exciting is we're going to be opening uh, a kitchen for london it's uh it's what the working title at the moment is felix's kitchen and it's going to be a professional production kitchen so we'll take surplus food from the depot He'll go into the kitchen, which is run by a team of professional chefs and volunteers, 
um, and it will be turned into meals. We think we can produce nearly one, somewhere in the region of one and a half to two million high nutritional value meals. Um, we've got, um, and then that, that food will come back out of there and go back to the vans, if you like, at the depot and be wow. distributed out around London. So we're busy recruiting volunteers for both the depot and the kitchen at the moment. Um, we've got, we always have volunteering opportunities at all of our all of our depots and operations. But because of the amazing response that we've had for Park Royal, for Enfield and Deptford um, recently, um, the big push at the minute is to get when is to get East London. So if you live or or are able to travel to that area, yeah, please come and um, come and sign up. And um, but you can you know you can choose to volunteer across any of our operations. We also run um, an operation in central London where we don't have a depot, but what we do is we have electric vans, or you can do it on uh, on foot or on bike, where you can um, you get sent a, a manifest and you go and collect food from when they're open all of those hospitality and high street retailers and food to go places some brands that again that everybody would know such as uh, some of you mentioned prep but uh, paul um and uh, coco de mama and all those sorts of and we take the food that's been prepared during the day but hasn't been sold and then sh- that food goes straight to predominantly homeless shelters refuges places that will be serving that food that night or the very next morning so lots of various different opportunities to get involved very much at the front line driving vans co-driving vans being in the depot sorting the food but also we look for people who can help us in other ways you know in marketing or communications or um lots of other things that because we're a big business as well as being a charity obviously we've got to run Mm. ourselves as a like a like a business uh, and therefore we're always looking for people with time and expertise and will and desire to want to help us in many ways so yeah get on the website and come and get involved and all of that will be in the show notes Right, we're coming towards the end and I always finish my chats with a few quick fire questions. So, Mark, are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah, I'm intrigued <laughs> to, uh, to know what they are. So, <laughs> um, I feel like this is just like old news for everybody who has listened to the podcast before, but my favourite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. What is your favourite flavour of crisps and why? Uh, it's... Um, that's it. Mm, that changes depending <laughs> on my mood. I would, I would probably say it would have to be uh, prawn cocktail. Um, you know, standard crisps, if you like. And why? Um, I don't know why. Just because they're just so. Probably because I'm really greedy and I could just eat I, whenever <laughs> I eat them. I just, I want another packet and another packet. But are we talking like do you like like a Walkers or like a Skips? Yeah, I think I think yeah, more Walkers, more proper proper. Yeah, crisp. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think okay, so. what is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Um, I was in Egypt um, and I'm trying to think where we we, we were travelling from Israel through Egypt down to Dahab when I was doing a bit of you wow. know kind of backpacking around. Um, and we stopped, um, we got a taxi hundreds and hundreds of miles from Elat to Dahab that back, this was in the mid nineties. I think it cost about five pound for like each between three or four of us for this taxi that took about a day to get from one place to the other. But we stopped off on the way um, 
in the literally in the middle of nowhere and the taxi driver said i've just got to fill up um this is my my village um and we sat down and there was tea prepared for us by um you know by one by what i assume was one of the sort of family members of of the taxi driver um and we were given some food some dried food um and i asked what it was and they didn't my i mean my they their english was much better than my egyptian but from what we could gather it was basically kind of locust scorpion it was stuff you know that you would find in the desert that had been freeze freeze dried or you know cooked in some way and <laughs> so it was yeah it was kind of an early day um i'm a celebrity get me out over here kind of absolutely you, know, so. you were so ahead of your time mark and was it tasty uh, I think so. To be honest, I was so hungry. I probably would have eaten anything, um, you know, but that was, it was for, uh, as an experience. I mean, I've had, you know, I've had unusual food as well. I, I mm. you know, quite often we go to France, we'll eat snails or frog's legs and that kind of thing. But as a whole experience of being in the middle of nowhere in this, sit, mm. basically on a, on a rug in the desert, um, eating um scorpion was the thing that that that's you know that sprung that springs to mind most often when i think back to that memory some god nearly 25 years ago now what has been your most memorable meal probably mm. that <laughs> yeah that i think for for certain reasons but for me i think my mo- christmas dinner is always um really important you know we've had some amazing family times down the years where we've had we, where Christmas dinner is the time where you know I've got quite a big family, um, I've, you know I've got um, uh, several brothers and sisters, there's six of us all together if you include stepsisters and extended family and all that kind of thing. So Christmas is the time where we're all so busy and we all live all over the place, but Christmas tends to be the time where we all come together, and I and I think that and and then also I think particularly in the last sort of seven or eight years or so since becoming a, a, a dad that time with the kids and and like my family did with me when I was a child um is we we work really hard despite the fact that my kids want to be off doing things um to sit down and have a family meal I think that's really important yeah yeah I think family meals are so important what food sums up happiness for you mm definitely some sort of comfort food there's nothing like a a friday night watching rubbish on tv with a with a pizza or um yes. I'm a for a really good burger as well i'm not a massive, yes. massive fan of, of, of what people would class as junk food so if i have a burger it has to be a really good yeah but but any sort of comfort food and of, and of course you know anything that helps you recover from a a fairly heavy night out shall we say where you maybe had too much salt on the crisps the night before um is is always good as well and my go-to with that is without doubt is is just a good sausage sandwich or you know sausage and bacon on a sunday morning after maybe one too many gin and tonics the night before (laughs) haven't had a sausage sandwich in ages i really fancy one now the (laughs) final question and i think the most important question live to eat or eat to live I think you've stumped me there, Hannah. I, th- I think live, <laughs> live to eat, maybe just, yeah. Just, Ask me that on a different day might be a different answer. I guess. <laughs> well, I guess if you're sort of if you're eating to live, I guess you're looking at fu- at food as more of a fuel, and mm. kind of like a sort of I need to eat in order to survive. Yeah. I guess like living to eat is perhaps showing a bit more love 
towards food rather than it just sort of being a necessity i guess yeah i guess it depends how you look yeah at it. Uh, yeah i think i suppose if you put it like that for me i think as i've mentioned a couple of times today food food i think the experience as well and the importance of food so that coming together a meal can do so much we we work with so many organizations where actually food is the is the carrot to pardon the pun that brings people together but actually once you've got them there there's so many more things so organizations for example that can provide services you know other holistic services of mentoring and counseling and advice and guidance quite often when we talk to a lot of social kitchens across london when they can obviously things have changed a lot because of covid but where where people could be come together because of meal there's an amazing place in uh, earl's court around the back of earl's court called refertorio felix where which is at st cuthbert's church where they bring everybody in they, they have the fantastic food we provide most of their ingredients to them every day oh. and ali kingsley and his team down there run this phenomenal organization where people come in from all kinds of walks of life um, and they sit together and have a meal. And actually what they also do there at Refertorio is they have a number of people who will help the, you know, there's a lot of rough sleepers and, and people from the homeless community, as well as maybe um, pensioners or older people that are a bit vulnerable or socially isolated. So they provide other services there, people that will provide counselling and advice and guidance, but they come together over a meal, they break bread together. And I, and I think that when I've been there on the several occasions I've been there, the, 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 what, what you, the experience that people have, it's a fine dining experience that they've created. It's phenomenal. It was set up by Massimo Vittorio a number of years. There's a number of them around, around the world. And, and that is just a great way of seeing what food can do to have so many more impacts for people. Oh, Mark, honestly, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I just think that we need more of you in this world. And honestly, what you've done, well, throughout your life, but in particular through what has been, you know, obviously a global pandemic and a global crisis, I think that you um, are just amazing. Oh, thank you. That's you can kind. follow the Felix Project on social media at the Felix Project, and please do visit the website www.thefelixproject.org to try and volunteer to find out more about the the charity. Um, in you know, try and help in any way that you can, and don't waste food, anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. Honestly, that was just really, and and also really insightful. Like you were telling me things that even I didn't really know about. Yeah, you learn a lot in this job. You learn a lot. Thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye.